This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Fintech Nexus Weekly News Roundup. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm doing great. And back uh, again for the umpteenth time, we have uh, (laughs) Andrew Dix uh, from Crowdfund Insider. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm, I'm of kind course. of surprised I haven't I haven't offended enough people yet to no, uh, no. To, never. to cancel me. Yes. Right? <laughs> anyway, let's let's get into it. We have a very busy week of news to uh, to get to here, so let's get right into it. Starting off with the new breaking news, uh, really this afternoon, that uh, FTX is closing in on a deal to buy BlockFi, and we knew that you know FTX last week um, announced that the, the $250 million credit line they had given to BlockFi, and they've t- they're they rumored to take an equity stake in the company. Well, the rumor is, and uh, the the this was reported by CNBC um, and that uh, the CEO of BlockFi has since denied, but the rumor is that they're being sold for $25 million. Keep in mind, their last valuation was $4.8 billion. So if true, and again, Zach Prince, the CEO of BlockFi, has denied it on Twitter, but if it is anything remotely close to that number, I mean, right now that's a 99.5% um, haircut from their previous valuations. So, what a story! Hey guys, it's. I mean, it's just stunning. Not only the the overall scope of it, how quickly it's happened, uh, and how quick this contagion is really taking hold uh, in the crypto space at a time when you know they've been asking and uh, pushing regulators for. Uh, clarity and um, you know wanting to to become a I guess a bit more structured part of the market and now you have this um, you know take place it it puts a lot of pressure on the crypto industry as a whole um, to figure out a way out of this in, in some ways um, but it also gives a lot of ammunition to regulators mm-hmm. uh, especially when you look at at you know, the actions of some of these companies and some of the ratios um, that they had in play here. Uh, and everyone's always critical of banks, but there's a reason why banks have, um, you know, certain ratios when it comes to their assets and, and leverage and whatnot. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of cascading things that are still going to happen here, not only to crypto companies themselves, but then after effects that are probably going to be felt for uh, a fair amount of time after the, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crypto contagion. It's, it's <laughs> as we were discussing here earlier, it seems to be kind of the, the, the theme for the, for the month or the quarter. Um, I, I would, you know, that's not exactly a haircut. That's, that's like, that's a, a buzz. That's a wipeout basically. 
<laughs> if if it's true, I would be surprised if it is. And as you mentioned, Peter, that Zach has 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 denied that. Um, but they did have a pretty uh, hefty valuation not too too long ago. Um, you know, FTX jumped in. I think it was last week, and they provided them a two hundred fifty million dollar line of credit. Credit, and there's blood in the street. It's certainly an opportunity for players like you know Sam to you know purchase uh, what could be quality platforms that that are in trouble. And in the tweet that uh, Zach distributed, he didn't deny that they they weren't for sale. So it, it does kind of sound like a deal is going down. It's just, you know, what is this, the structure? Is this going to be Bear Stearns 4.0 or are we going to see something a little bit more uh, um, uh, that will make the current investors a little bit happier than what happened, you know, back in, uh, in the, back in the day? Oh, and I'd be very surprised if the investors are happy. Like the, he was trying to raise money at a billion-dollar valuation. That was that was news about a month ago, and obviously that never came to fruition. And uh, you know, when the the sharks are circling, it's you know, it's it, it. He doesn't have many cards right now, so um, leverage is great until it's not. Right. 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 <laughs> yep. It's so, just, that's the game. Yep. So let's keep on the the Sam Bankman Freed theme here. He's the CEO and uh, you know, founder of FTX. Um, this is we woke up Monday with the news that FTX was exploring an acquisition of Robinhood, and then uh, I think it was I think it was Bloomberg that broke that story, but uh, proved to be not true. Supposedly, I'm sure there's some truth to it, but there is no formal acquisition talks happening. Um, you know that's that's what it seems anyway. Robinhood is, not, you know, is currently a publicly traded company valued at over seven billion dollars. It's a little bit different to trying to buy BlockFi, but uh, <laughs> you know that uh, FTX. I mean, he's 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 he has made an equity investment. Um, SBF has made an equity investment in Robinhood. So, you know, what what are you, what are your thoughts, guys? Are we going to is Robinhood going to get bought? I don't know if they're going to get bought. I mean, it was, you know, the fact that he denied it so abruptly uh, leads me to think that, you know, there was maybe just some ideas being kicked around that that were not very serious uh, and that someone may be leaked it and that it got, you know, eventually to the outlet that, that put it out there. Uh, and so maybe that was on the table as like, hey, what are the best ideas we have as, as things kind of... Uh, get uh, a little bit out of control in crypto. And it seems that uh, FTX has always wanted to have a hold in multiple pieces um, of the financial space, not just uh, crypto. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know if Robinhood will eventually get bought, um, but if they are going to get bought, I mean, it seems like FTX is the darling right now. <laughs> it's, you know, the, it, SBF has, has really staked his claim. Uh, in the space, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised by a lot of things that he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been describing him as the crypto Fed. You know, he's the the lender of last yep. resort. <laughs> he's, so he's like he, the the Morgan Stanley or the JP Morgan of uh, yeah. of yeah. Um, the you know the nineteen twenties or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean he 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 sees an opportunity. Why not? I mean that's that's when you can you know really make a difference is if you find a quality operation and and you know it's it's you know unrealistic valuations to the downside. Um, I don't see him going after Robinhood due to 
you know, its current valuation, at least not right now. You know, it was kind of a, you know, non-denial denial. Um, but, you know, that also makes me wonder what's Robinhood's, you know, next step. You know, it was a darling for the markets. They went public at a, at a hot time. And they've just, you know, they're, I think they IPO'd at, what, $38 a share, and now it's trading under 10 yeah. uh, There's a lot of value destruction there. So everybody's in a world of pain right now. You got to tough it out. You got to make it through. But what are the next steps to growth? Robinhood did make the acquisition. I think they made the acquisition in, in the uh, UK to kind of expand their operations into Europe. Mm -hmm. But what's that, what's that next play? How, how do you get back to where you were and grow from there? And I think everybody's kind of struggling with that right now. And well, FTX, has it, haven't SDF, FTX also said that they wouldn't do payment for order flow? And that's Robin Hood's yeah. business? Yeah. And so, so another, even that another... dynamic is, is to total opposite. I, I I'm supportive of payment for for order flow. I think it's I think you know that's how you get to zero zero fees and yeah. by by regulation, you know you can't you have to have the you know the the offer the lower price to to the traders. And sure, there's only a couple of players in the space with Citadel being the largest, but there is competition there, and it has been effective. I mean, back in the day, you know you had to pay what fifty bucks a trade, and now you can pay you know zero. Are, right. are the spreads larger? Probably in some shares, but you know the shit spreads are pretty tight on on you know high liquid shares. I don't. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a mistake that the SEC is going after. It. It's a good thing in a really liquid market like the like our market yeah. here. Yeah. It, 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 I, I think I agree with you, Andrew. So anyway, let's move on because we want to keep uh, keep on the crypto bloodbath theme here, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about Celsius. Wall Street Journal had a had an in-depth piece about them, um, and then Matt Levine from Bloomberg. I get his newsletter, and he had a really always entertaining kind of take, basically talking about you know Celsius has yeah they 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 have these um, they have a lot of large loans backed by sometimes you know obviously you talk about over collateralized loans sometimes well they apparently had under collateralized loans where they're basically talking you know we'll give you a, a billion dollar or say this for example a hundred million dollar loan but we'll only we'll, we'll make sure you pick you you give us 50 million dollars in collateral so that's the type of thing that they had um, as a way to kind of get uh, get the deal, but um, coming back to bite them, it's fine when the market's sort of steady and we're going up. But uh, in these sorts of markets, it's it's bad. I mean, Celsius feel like to me they're done. There's talk about a bankruptcy filing. Um, you know, someone may swoop in and buy them for twenty five million dollars, but uh, it's it looks like there's a lot of a lot of pain still to come with Celsius. I mean, not even the the ratio of like nineteen to one, which I think the the story, uh, in the journal had, yeah. uh, and banks I think are nine to one. But also the instruments that they were putting money into were highly illiquid, right. and you know they had to wait, and in some cases they could not get their their money out of those instruments. And it's like, you know, if you're gonna go out there and and directly you know, lambaste the banks, wear all these t-shirts uh, that the banks are not your friends and everything. Like that's right. Yeah. You, know, you can't be this in, in some cases, it seemed like they were pretty reckless Yeah. Uh, in, in what they were doing. And um, you know, it's just, I mean, it, I, I made the point in the first story. I mean, the regulators are going to 
clearly put like you know guardrails of all right, you can't exceed this re- this ratio uh, because the I mean these examples are just making some pieces of the market so clear um, that hopefully this obviously won't happen again to the next firms that do this. Uh, but in in some cases, it's just self inflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was funny. Uh, you know, crypto Twitter this week, somebody was tweeting out that they saw Mashinsky, you know, taking a, a plane out of the country. You know, <laughs> kind of kind of saying that ah, oh, he's 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 on the lamb, which I I do not believe, but uh, it does sound like they're in a bad place. I've seen the the write ups where they've engaged with the attorneys and advisors to, you know view all their options, you know, their proverbial options, which don't look good. Um, I agree that at some point in time, there's going to be, you know, stricter regulations around this, this entire ecosystem. It's just that, you know, between the Congress and the regulators, they can't figure out, you know, who wants to do what and which ways it's going to go first. And so until then, it's, it's a challenge. And I do think that this just highlights the enormous opportunity for reg tech. You know, if there's a, you know, there's a digital first financial services industry like this, it's an enormous opportunity to for self you know, regulation, which I have absolutely no confidence that they will get something like that done. Uh, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Counterparty risk is a huge thing and they've bollocked it up and it makes everybody and everything look bad. Um, you know, shame on them, shame on Luna, shame on Terra USD, shame on the people that got overextended and, you know, and they levered up too much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll have one more one more round of bad news here uh, before we get <laughs> on to other stories, and that's the NFT um, you know, giant or the leader in the NFT space, OpenSea, has had uh, an email data breach. Seems like one of the vendors that they use, um, misuse their access. Um, they shared email addresses with the third party. It's not, it's not, as, it's not that big a deal because it, feel, it seems like it was just email addresses. And I, I have an account at OpenSea um, with my personal email address and it, it's, you know, they have apparently 1.8 million users. So if there's no other data, if they just get emails, you know, not that big a deal. Everyone's got my email. Um, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, still not a good look. Not a good look for the. It's not. It's not Ashley Madison, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, in some ways, it's just about optics. You know, it's just yeah. it's just a bad uh, PR um, piece that they have to deal with. As long as it stays just emails and not other uh, PII. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is the, the risk that you take when you work with you know, different vendors. And, I mean, you know, a small mistake can turn into a giant problem uh, if your systems and everything are not completely buttoned up. And, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, you know what, what specifically happened here, but hopefully it's not anything beyond just email addresses. Yeah, yeah, it was a vendor, a vendor theft. And, uh, but, on the other side, OpenSea has been, you know, hacked a couple times now. And then more recently, there was uh, an employee who was gaming the system uh, <laughs> because he knew which right. which well, uh, item was. He's in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Now he's yeah he he's in trouble. That's correct. Um, but I, I think in this instance, it's it's kind of minor. My my all my emails have been hacked, stolen. They're all over the dark web. I've given up on any sort of anonymity. People try to hack me every week and 
you know, I'm, I'm surprised I have any hair left. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the name of the game. Everybody, yeah. everybody gets hacked at some time, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. We've got, uh, I want to talk about um, the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, an organization both you and I, Andrew, have uh, been supporting for many years. And you wrote a piece about their, their new uh, reports. This, this sort of came out of, uh, they, they did a first, they did a rapid, rapid response report when COVID first hit. And then this is a more in-depth uh, piece on exactly what happened in uh, really in the fintech space globally. It's, it's, it's certainly the most extensive report that has ever been done. Uh, 1,448 fintech companies across 192 jurisdictions in this report. And it's mostly good news. Um, you know, basically all areas of fintech seem to do well in the, from, from 2019. It's basically taking 2019 numbers and comparing to 2020 numbers. And this is a report that Cambridge did with the World Bank and the World Economic Forum. And you wrote about it, Andrew. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no. I, first of all, you know, I, I think it's awesome that, that, that you guys at Fintech Nexus and previously, you know, Lendit have always supported this because I think that it's the – it's the, the, the top independent uh, group for researching fintech in general. And I think the industry was really in need of that. So I've been very supportive of it and, and thank you for supporting it. Um, I think that kind of the, the top line takeaways here is that COVID was good for fintech. It, it was, you know, it was fertilizer on growth because, you know, some people got locked up or locked down and, and nobody was going out and, and everybody didn't, nobody wanted to go to the bank branch and it just kind of boosted the entire industry more so than they initially anticipated. I think the big winner, payments. I mean, payment payments. They they had a like a twenty or thirty percent increase from like twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. Uh, online lending, I was kind of surprised, showed a nice you know boost. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I kind of remember online lending from the days of war when China had all these hundreds or thousands of P two P platforms that were mostly <laughs> frauds. Um, but you know, online lending's a, a, a big deal. Um, and then there's some other, you know, encouraging aspects of the the, the global fintech center, which are uh, industry, which are very encouraging. So um, it's a long report. I recommend that everybody read it. There's something for everyone. I need to go back and, and reread it and reread it. But um, it's very interesting. I, I find it very interesting. And it's going to be another report in the next uh, couple of years on kind of the impact of the recession. Yeah, yes, quite, quite. Likely. Following on this, uh, this report. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, I've, I know a lot of the history of this report, and it did take a long time to get over the line. It's to twenty twenty, and there was politics involved, and I won't get into that. But uh, I would, I would say that the interesting piece, uh, another interesting piece around it, it seems like major inroads were made uh, when it comes to uh, this is globally um, women, women and uh, low income households being uh, using using fintech often for the first time huge inroads there i think were were made particularly in the less developed world so kudos to just to, as andrew said just to tie it off peter if anybody wants a, a top-notch resource for fintech research and whatnot it doesn't get better than the ccaf yep yep they're uh, they're awesome okay moving on um amount who uh we know well um 
they've been they've been an opening keynote speaker at uh, at our USA event when we were doing it virtually. I think it was last year, wasn't it, Todd, or the year before? Yeah, Mountain Barclays. In, yeah, Mount, Mountain uh, Barclays last year, I think it was. So anyway, they um they, they were spun out of Avant. Uh, they're basically a banking as a service, lending as a service type company. Done a whole bunch of stuff in the buy now pay later space, um, but they have laying off eighteen percent of their staff. They didn't say exactly how many that was. But um, it's it's significant, and um, you know they are they were a unicorn. I don't know if they still are, but um, you know they do have a lot of. They're basically their target market is the large banks, and uh, they've done they've had some good inroads. But clearly, you know, despite the fact they're doing a lot of like buy now pay later and and uh, digital lending, they they are not immune. I was actually surprised because I thought like this they were you know there's they had big banks in their sites, but they weren't immune to the general downturn in fintech it seems yeah i think it probably has to do more with the fundraising market for the foreseeable 12 to 18 months and that they're prepping themselves for not being able to just go out and raise money and um you know i think a lot of investors peter you talked to matt harris about this um at our event that you know it's just not going to be easy to raise capital uh, especially for the growth stage companies and they need to uh, make sure that they are cutting, uh, you know, anything they deem as as non-essential, uh, and really tighten things up uh, for this this time period until things start to kind of go back on the upswing. Because going out to raise a eighty, ninety, hundred million dollar round is going to be nearly impossible right now. Yep. I think that it's still kind of the tip of the iceberg. We've seen several other fintechs, some mm-hmm. crypto firms, you know, <clears throat> cut uh, or pause hiring or recent offers. I think we're going to see more of that. I think we've got, yeah. um, depending on how inflation shakes out, you know, the Fed's going to raise rates again here next month, clearly. Whether it's going to be 25 or 75 basis points, I don't know, but that's all starting to bite and people are pulling back. Uh, It's inevitable. Gasoline is too high. Our current administration is not doing what they need to do to to tamp that down as aggressively as they should. And that factors into everything. And and you're just going to have a, you know, kind of across the board cooling. It's just going to be a bumpy road for the next, you know, six to 12 months depending depending on yeah. how certain hopefully no longer out. than that <laughs> could be yeah could be i mean crazy. you know i have my 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 opinions on that um but nobody knows yeah, nobody yeah. Knows. okay i want to go i want to go to our next story which was something that really interested me from american banker and this i, I don't know how if you were following this andrew i certainly wasn't um, that closely but the sec puts out these staff accounting bulletins from time to time generally they're not uh, they're not that noteworthy but this was something that was bu- staff accounting bulletin number 121 um is uh, it's causing waves at uh at uh, banks that are interested in crypto because it basically says you must treat any custody crypto asset as a liability, which means you have to hold reserves against that, which means it's really unattractive for banks to, to basically custody um, uh, crypto. And uh, there's, it seems like there's not, not a whole lot of thought put into this. Um, <laughs> and there's, there, there's a lot of pushback from, 
from the banking community and it's uh, becomes sort of this, you know, that banks are wanting to get into this space, but not, they're not going to do it if it doesn't make any economic sense. So I have been following this. Uh, it's <laughs> been ongoing for, for a long time. Um, actually, when I was in Manhattan at your event, I had a, a, a meeting with a somebody who's in the community and we had a long discussion about what is going on in regards to the regulatory approach at the SEC. Um, and since that time, uh, I've spoken to several other people and there's just a real grim perception about the regulatory approach of the, the current commission and that it is not innovation friendly. It's not digital asset friendly. And they're in fact doing things in a way to make it impossible to execute on your mission because so many of these 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 proposals rulemakings they're intertwined you know one impacts the other and they have all these proposals out there right now that are ongoing how do you manage one when you don't know what the other one is going to end up at it's nearly impossible it's it's just you know they're, they're flooding the zone is what's happening and you make it to to such a degree that it's impossible to manage and um, and it's not just digital assets. I was speaking to somebody the other day about SPACs and what's going on with SPACs, which is, you know, it's, it's, it, it has its pros and cons, but that entire industry is just, you know, they're ballistic about what's being done to, to that industry. And of course it goes back to, you know, people's opinions on, on, on Gensler. They criticize him because he's not a securities attorney. So he doesn't really understand this, but he's very political. And I've had people tell me this is the most political commission they've seen in years or decades. And there's also some grumbling within the commission because all decisions are made in the chair's office. That's what I'm hearing. Huh. Interesting. It makes building a company like in this, especially in the crypto space, like, like increasingly impossible. It's like, how, how do you do things? And then the, not only do you have the people in, crypto space not acting great right now and there's a contagion but then you have regulators who are just like you know we have no interest in you guys being a, a, a productive part of securities markets so we're just gonna kind of clamp down on you and then if you get a new administration in a couple of years it like completely frees up and it's like the seesaw uh dynamic and it's it's you know it's not only is it hard for entrepreneurs but it's hard for investors to make that bet it's hard for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, we, we spoke about ESG initiatives not too long ago and the current climate risk proposal. And I am all for having a good, clean environment. And I support, you know, clean, fresh air, clean water and all that. But personally, I don't think that the Securities Exchange Commission should be demanding disclosure on climate risk, which is very arbitrary, hard to measure. And yeah, it there's impacts. no framework. There's no framework You're, yet. Even if you create a framework, what you're doing is you're creating a framework for, for ongoing lawsuits and it will decimate the, the, the public markets because nobody's going to want to be public. Nobody's going to want to have to go through that. It's, it's a failure from the word go. There's a lot of people that are passionate about the environment and uh, um, you know global warming. I get that. 
this is not the way to manage it. It is wrong. It will hurt these companies. It'll hurt smaller companies. It'll hurt companies that are private, that service these companies. They have no comprehension as to the cost. And they even say that. They say, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. It, it's just, and they're going to make a rule on it. They're going to make a rule. It's somebody off the record told them, whoa. Anyway, there for a second. No, no, you're good. Let's let's move on. Last story. Um, I actually wanted to get, uh, talk about the article from Ron Shevlin this week um, about Apple, and he basically said how Apple will boost the Apple Card with buy now, pay later. Because there was, you know, we we talked about um, you know the Apple Apple Pay later, the new the MPO offering, talking about how it's going to potentially impact Apple Card users. But Chevlin was arguing that uh, it's actually going to be great for Goldman Sachs. It's going to be great for the Apple Card. It's sort of like he calls BNPL training wheels for credit cards. So it's sort of getting going once you once you get a bit of uh, history with BNPL. When, in, if you do Apple Pay later and you get some good... Uh, you know, some really good, um, you know, payment history, then you might be able to apply for an Apple card. So, uh, and he thinks it's going to be, Apple's going to have more of an impact, he thinks, on credit card issuers than they than they will on the other hmm. BNPL players, which I thought was interesting as well. Interesting dynamic um, that he's bringing out. I think just the Apple dynamic overall is, is one that is going to be fascinating to watch and kind of that, ecosystem that they're creating uh, with Apple products and Apple pay and Apple card and Apple buy now pay later. And it's, it's going to be a, a force to reckon with uh, whether or not they go full, uh, full on and, and go uh, Apple bank is, is probably still uh, a pipe dream right now. Uh, but you never know. I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey thus far for them. And um, yeah, I wouldn't put much past Apple at this stage either. Yeah, so uh, 15 years ago, they introduced the first iPhone. So That's right, 15 that. years ago yesterday. I got mine with, three days after it launched. I, I, was, I was right there with you. I mean, I, I, and it, was, it was transformational for me. I mean, I, I immediately said, this is, this is what I need. And it's been an awesome experience ever since. And, and you know, over a billion people, people agree because they have over a billion iPhone users and they have almost 2 billion, you know, iOS users or device users. So they're in a good spot to provide a lot more in the server side. And I agree with what you said, Peter, this is, this is kind of the the first step in providing additional FinTech services. The next thing on the list will be subscriptions uh, for devices like an iPhone. You're going to be able to basically, you know, pay a monthly fee and you get a new iPhone every year, every two years. And it'll, it'll be a, a credit play, a financing credit play, and they'll run the numbers. Goldman will help them out and it'll be a success. But then they're going to start looking at, at other things because they have access to the data. People trust them. They're big on privacy. You know, everything is, you know, you're not the customer, you know, our products are the customer for you, as opposed to the competition, Facebook, you know, Google, et cetera. Um, they're really in a good position to offer more financial services to the masses. How far they will go with that? I don't think they really know right now, but right. credit is a no brainer. I mean, it just, it just makes sense. They're going to do it. Are we going to have an Apple bank? I hope so. I don't know if we will. I think that if they do it, it'll come through some sort of uh, acquisition. 
but you know how Apple works. They, they don't, you know, necessarily are not the first, but when they get into something, they do it right. Right. Uh, and then they kill it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a little that. We'll have to leave it there. Um, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, uh, all of the listeners and watchers. We uh, appreciate you. And uh, we'll be back same time next week, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, watch it live uh, on the streaming platform of your choice, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn Live, Facebook, you name it. We're there. Thanks, everybody. Have a great long weekend. Thank you, Thanks. Peter. Thank Happy you, Todd. Fourth. Yep. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You, Happy 4th.